Welcome to the Firearms Trainers Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I'm your host, Rob Beckman. Today, we'll be talking about medical emergencies on the range. We bring you this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearm Trainers Association. Head on over to their website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage they offer and their competitive pricing. Receive a special 10% off on your policy by entering promo code FTP10 at checkout. This episode is brought to you by the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app. The best resource for any firearm instructor and their students is also free. Available for both Apple and Android devices. Search your app store for Concealed Carry Gun Tools today and download this free app. Find maps, gun businesses near you, legal summaries, articles, videos, training logs in this podcast. Don't miss a beat on the industry. Download the app today. Today, we are joined by Brian McLaughlin from Mountain Man Medical and also a former Navy corpsman. Welcome, Brian. How are things going? Going fantastic. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Great, great. Well, hey, I normally try to avoid bringing guests on multiple times, but your recent YouTube videos and things like that really got me uh, thinking because it was starting to break down a medical emergency and kind of what we have to think about and teaching a, a recent range safety officer course made me realize that one of the topic areas I hadn't talked about on the podcast yet was good range management specifically around the medical area because, you know, as it explained to me, people that play with guns and knives get, get hurt. And if we think about, okay, I can call 911 and they can be here in five or 10 minutes. That's a fantastic response time from those first responders. But then at the same time, you start applying what happens if you start bleeding. You've got three minutes, you know, on major bleed before you're, you're gone. If, if you don't breathe within five minutes, you've got major you know, brain damage going. And that's where I thought bringing you back on would be really interesting about how to handle these kind of range emergencies because we're going to have people on the range that have a variety of backgrounds to them and you know something could very easily happen but want to get your advice on how to handle some of these you know range emergencies so that our listeners maybe be a little bit more um, aware of what they need to do and be prepared for on their on their ranges absolutely yeah I've, 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 I have a decent amount of experience in this I've uh, done medical coverage for a lot of different ranges and a lot of different types of training um, both military and civilian. So I definitely have uh, some opinions on that. Mm -hmm. So tell me, Brian, one of, one of the scariest things I think for any of us, because let's put it this way, we just don't like seeing it, is what happens when somebody has a bad bleed, you know, you know, femoral artery or, you know, something where they are bleeding or spurting a far distance from a cut or maybe, you know, a gunshot, you know, a ricochet off of something, you know, what are, what are some of the things we can do to address that within that five to 10 minutes might take for a pair paramedics to get there and to have the advanced life support systems there. Okay. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, you want to try to have medical gear. Medical gear makes things much easier and makes you far more effective at, at keeping someone alive. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of things about how to improvise uh, a lot of different type of stuff. But even though I have that knowledge, I'm not going to use it unless I absolutely have to. And, and the only time I'm going to try to improvise something is if things are so bad, I've run out of all the equipment I already have. Mm 
So it's just like uh, if you have a gun, you, you want to have that available when you need it. That's a piece of equipment. If someone tries to hurt you or your family, you're going to use that to defend yourself. Um, same thing when it comes to medical gear. If you don't have medical gear, you're already starting off in a bad spot. So have something available to, uh, to treat that. Now, if you've got bleeding and you don't have any medical equipment, the only thing you can really do is apply direct pressure and call 911 as soon as possible. So the direct pressure is, you know, you're just going to take your hand, um, a knee if you can, and you're just going to apply as much pressure as possible, especially if you take the, the palm of your hand and you try to locate that directly over the wound and then you just put your weight into it. You're trying to keep as much blood in the body as humanly possible. And that's going to hurt. You know, that person is going to probably scream from it and such, but at the same time, I think with a lot of things, when it comes to, to life-saving treatments, the pain is, is, it hurts, but it's be a lot worse if they don't make it. And that's where you've got to go along and yeah, you don't want to hurt your friend or somebody, uh, but at the same time you want to make sure they survive and if that's what it takes to survive. That's what you got to do. Absolutely. I've, uh, I put tourniquets on people before who were telling me to stop. Um, they, they didn't have limbs and they were still telling me, stop doing what I'm doing. And I had to tell them, be quiet. I am trying to help you. So, you know, that's, there's actually a name for it. It's called tourniquet pain. So, you know, if you're going to be helping somebody and you're going to be applying a tourniquet, it's not going to be comfortable if you're applying it correctly. If, if they're like, if they're saying, oh yeah, that feels fine. Then you probably need to put a couple more turns in that windlass. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, what kind of tourniquet do you recommend? Because I always recommend my instructors and, and rain safety officers to carry them on them because bleeding is one of those things that um, it's really hard to put blood back in the system uh, once it gets out of the person. Yes, absolutely. It's a lot more difficult to put that blood back in. Uh, I, my two favorite tourniquets are the two most popular on the market. Um, and that's primarily because that's what I've used. There's other um, tourniquets on the market right now that have been uh, approved by the TCCC committee. I haven't had a chance to play with those yet. I'm planning to get those in and doing a good review on those and posting those on the YouTube channel at some point. Um, but my two favorite tourniquets are the cat from North American Rescue. Everybody knows what that looks like, probably. Um, and then the soft T wide from TAC Med Solutions. And um, they're both fantastic tourniquets and you can buy either one of those um, and they'll work just the work perfectly for you. Um, in my opinion, though, the cat tourniquet is better to apply to yourself. It's a little bit easier to self-apply with one hand. And the soft T wide is my preferred tourniquet for applying to someone else. Um, they're both fantastic tourniquets. I actually have a YouTube video on that topic that kind of breaks down the, the pros and cons of each one of them. So you can check that out on my YouTube channel. Um, but besides that, Either one is going to work just fine for you. The uh, soft T wide is a little easier to carry in a cargo pocket. Um, but um, yeah, either one's, either one's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this. You know, we brought, I brought up cuts and, and uh, gunshot wounds. Um, those would probably be the two biggest things that would happen <clears throat> on a range. Um, obviously a shot's going to have, you know, an entry hole and maybe an exit hole. Um, anything different than we would do if there was a cut, you know, there was a ricochet and somebody got a slice across the leg or an arm, something along those lines that needed nope. to be addressed. Yeah. Well, you're just going to apply direct pressure. Um, you know, if you've got a big 
a, a big gaping wound, um, you, you want to try to apply some um, some quick clot gauze if you've got it. Um, that stuff's just pretty great for uh, helping that blood to coagulate. If you don't have that, um, just regular gauze will be fine. You just want to pack the wound as tightly as you can because you're hoping to get that gauze right up against the, the artery and apply pressure to it. Um, so that helps quite a bit for um, keeping the keeping the bleeding the, the bleeding to a minimum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and definitely. And uh, as I as I go along and tell people, you know, bleeding is one of those things that you've really got to address quickly because a serious bleed within a minute and a half, you're going to lose that person's going to lose uh, consciousness, and in three minutes, they're going to their system's going to collapse, which means that basically there ain't a whole lot even a um, even a paramedic can do at that point. And, you know, again, think about paramedic. By the time you call them, they jump in the ambulance and they come there, unless you're, you know, a couple houses down from them, they're going to, they're probably in the five minute range. And that's really good when you think about it, maybe even longer if you're in a rural area. And that's where, you know, bringing this up and talking about it, I think it's really important for people to uh, think about, put some, put some thought into. Absolutely. I live here in Denver, Colorado, and, you know, we have, infrastructure like crazy and it's still the average response time is around between seven and 11 minutes you know Mm -hmm. and that's that's pretty quick you know getting help to your door but that's still plenty of time for you or a family member to bleed out so having a basic understanding of medical is something that you can take with you for the rest of your life and that's a that's a good skill to maintain One, one suggestion I would have for those instructors out there, um, it's really nice to carry this on yourself, but obviously you've got a limited amount of space in your cargo pockets or in your ankle. Um, one of the things I do is I've actually got an old 50, a 50 caliber ammo can that I paint it white and put a big, big red cross on it. Why do I do it that way? Because if I've got to address a student who has had a medical emergency, I want to be able to go along and you know, tell somebody they can run back to the ready line, which might only be 50 feet behind us, but I want to be already working on that person when they go back there in order to get the, um, you know, the gauze or go get the stop bleed, you know, those, those types of things, get additional tourniquets, whatever the situation comes down to, because there again, as we're talking about the paramedics getting there, the faster I can, I can as the instructor address their medical issues and put a tourniquet on them, the fast, the more, blood will stay in their system, which is, you know, the name of the game. Absolutely. Yeah. You want to, um, first and foremost, I think, uh, what's essential for anybody that's running a range is to have a safety brief. You know, anybody that's been in the military remembers safety briefs. Um, every time we would go to start a range, um, if I was, if I was the head of the medical coverage, it would be my responsibility to develop and, um, and to relay the the plan, the plan if emergency happens, you know, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? And how are we going to get there? Mm-hmm. And um, that's pretty essential for any um, range officer who's in charge is to get his class and his instructors together and and go over what the plan is mm-hmm. so that everybody knows. It's also beneficial if you have it printed out. Um, if everybody has a copy or at the very least have um, a, a, like a small Google map showing where you're at with all the emergency contact numbers. And, um, and that helps so that the communication is far more efficient. If you do have an emergency, everyone's going to know exactly who to call and what to say 
to get help on scene as soon as possible. So a lot of these medic, a lot of these ranges, of course, are in a rural rural area. Um, you know, where you're a substantial amount of time away from a hospital. Um, so you definitely want to make sure that you have a good plan in place for what you're going to do. If you do have a casualty, how are you going to get that casualty there? So a lot of the times uh, for the ranges that I would cover, you know, even in the civilian world, we would have a plan for transporting the casualty to a known location where they might bring in a helicopter. And that might be something that you need to talk with your responding agency. Um, so if you're in a rural, rural area, um, the, the closest medical facility, you would want to coordinate with them and say, hey, if I have a casualty, you know, where would we, where would we link up? Mm -hmm. um, you want to be able to drive your casualty and meet them maybe halfway or meet the helicopter wherever it's going to land at. You want you want to have a plan, and Absolutely. you know that that's you know the bottom line because here's one of the things I always always uh, tell people: the person who ends up getting injured could be me, mm -hmm. and if I know the address we're at and I know all those details, that's great. But what happens if I'm incapacitated and I'm relying on the other people that are that are there in order to transport me? And that's where having having a good plan for the range comes in. Uh, extremely extremely handy because i'm not a young whippersnapper like you are brian so i could be that person being hauled off one of these times um you know absolutely don't want it to be but at the same time you you don't know you know what what the lord's plan is for you that day and that's uh that's what i always uh, keep in mind you know always be prepared i i think i would i would hazard a guess that any experienced range officer is probably going to have at least one or two close calls with some knucklehead on the range you know, but that stuff is definitely possible. I hear stuff all the time. Uh, a couple of months ago, a, a range um, instructor was hitting the leg. They had to apply a tourniquet to him. He wound up losing his entire leg uh, from that round. So, yeah, it's definitely possible. And have a plan and don't make that plan a secret. Everybody needs to know the plan. Everybody needs to be on the same page. And everybody needs to go know where to go to get additional medical supplies and uh, where to find all that information so that if you're out there alone with a bunch of um, students, you're not the only one that knows the plan. Exactly. Well, hey, one of the things you you uh, touched on, you know, our ranges a lot of times are in remote areas and such. And being in remote areas, you know, we're around things that sting us, you know, wasp, bees uh, yellow jackets. We've got the, uh, murder hornets in the news right now. Um, you know, when somebody gets stung, have a normal reaction, you got a little swelling up, no big problem. But when they go into anaphylactic shock where they can't breathe, that's another one of those really, really emergency situations that we could probably all see, you know, happening, you know, on a range someplace, especially when you're in an outdoor range. Right now. Uh, yeah. So I've got, I got a lot of opinions on this. <laughs> so, um, so one of the things I know you said, you know, a little while ago, you know, that cuts and maybe a gunshot wound, you know, might be the most common injury that you have. Um, but in my experience running ranges, um, the most common injury that I've seen has been from hot brass. You know, um, I always like to have a little bit of uh, burn gel on me, um, and some, uh, some dressing that will be able to treat that 
that burn. And it's not life-threatening, of course. They're going to be just fine. They're just going to be un- uncomfortable for a little while. But I've seen some pretty rough burns from uh, hot brass going down collars, you know, and especially if you got uh, you got a lady with uh, some cleavage, you know, that those are, those catch those catch hot brass like crazy. So uh, you want to make sure that you have some burn gel on you. That's one of the most common things that I see. Always having some band-aids and things like that for cuts, slide bite. That's a pretty common one, you know, having some uh, band-aids and maybe some uh, bacitracin, you know, basic first aid stuff um, that uh, will help for the boo-boos. That's the stuff that gets used the most because hopefully mm-hmm. you're going to have a safe range day and and the worst that happens is someone learns not to uh, get too high on their, uh, on their pistol. So um, that's one of the most common things that I see. And then when it comes to things like anaphylactic shock, um, that's something that you want to go over in your briefing. Part of your, your briefing is going to be, are there any medical conditions that I need to be aware of? And that can be a wide range of things, especially for civilian instructors. Now, in the military, I have a very precise population that I'm treating. I'm taking care of primarily males, top physical condition, and with zero medical problems because they screen everybody that's coming in to make sure, you know, that everyone's nice and healthy. So you have like the premium crop of patients. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to worry about Mm -hmm. Exactly. But when it comes to, you know, civilian world, you've got a huge range of people that could be from, you know, in wheelchairs to having serious chronic issues that just want to defend themselves or allergies. Allergies. Yeah. yeah, You you don't, you don't realize, you know, you know how many people are allergic to bee stings in really bad situations. And that's where, um, you know, that's what my thinking is, you know, you go along and make sure you understand what people's limitations are because the last thing you do is to go along and find out they're on the ground because they got stung by something. You have no idea why they're, why they're on the ground. Absolutely. Um, and I, I'll, I've seen plenty of elderly individuals who, you know, they were very robust in their younger days, but now not so much. And they don't like to tell you. Um, and that, uh, that's definitely something you have to watch out for as a medic on a range. I'm constantly checking those guys to make sure that they're all right. Um, you know, you've got an outdoor range, the sun's beating down, especially if you're in a place like Ohio, you know, that's humid as all get out. They're not drinking water. You know, that's the kind of stuff you want to be going over. Hey, everybody stay hydrated. Make sure you get a snack. Let us know if you're pushing yourself too hard and you need to take a break. Nothing wrong with taking a break, you know, and I'm, I'm constantly trying to harp on that because I don't want to work. You know, I, I want, I want to have a nice, easy day. I just want to sit in the shade and sip on my Kool-Aid and not have to worry about too much. And, um, so I want to double check to make sure I want to be proactive in my treatment and my care. Now, a lot of people, especially with these medical conditions, they don't like to say out loud. So, um, what I usually will say is I say, um, you know, come find me after this briefing and just let me know if you've got some medical, uh, issues that way I can try to keep an eye on you and, and be aware of that. And when they come up and talk to me, I talk to them a little bit. Okay. What's your condition? What do you got going on? Are you taking any medication for that? What medication are you on? Um, do you have that medication with you? That's a very important thing, especially if you've got somebody with maybe diabetes or something, they start sweating pretty heavy. They're, you know, they're running around and doing this stuff that they're not used to doing that could put them in a dangerous spot. So we want to make sure that we're keeping an eye on them and we're, we're aware of all of that. 
Um, especially when it comes to like bee sting allergies, uh, you know, bees are out there on the range all the time. And uh, if they've got a bee allergy, you want to make sure that they have epinephrine with them if possible. Now, a lot of these people with um, bee allergies, they're prescribed an auto injector. Um, and uh, that's something that you can use to, uh, to treat that. Uh, there's a little bit that goes into how to use those, but they're not very complicated. And the directions are right on the EpiPen itself. So if you are taking care of somebody who, um, who has a bee allergy, or they tell you that they have a bee allergy, you want to ask them, do you have any, um, do you have an epinephrine pen? And then you ask them, where is it? And a lot of the times I like to make sure that they keep that on them. You don't, you don't take that from them. <clears throat> it, don't run it, back to their car, get it because their car is probably going to be locked and you got to find the keys and exactly. all that kind of stuff. They carry it on them. Mm -hmm. And they might, they might be struggling to talk, you know, a part of anaphylaxis is, you know, closing up that airway of your throat. They might not be able to tell you that well. So what I like to make sure that they do is they have it in their cargo pocket and it's ready and available if you, if you need it. So that Epi, EpiPen's not that big a deal. Um, follow the directions on it if you have to, if they're unconscious. If they're conscious, you want them to, to apply that to themselves. Let them do it. They should know how to do it. Their doctor should have showed them how to use epinephrine pen, EpiPen. Um, and let them do it unless they're unconscious. Yep. And you then can guide their hand in, to the right place. But, yes. you know, if they're, if they're conscious, you know, put it in their hand, put their thumb on top of the trigger and then, you know, help guide it to, to their, you know, lar large muscle mass, you know, basically their thigh is what it yep. comes down to. Absolutely. Yeah. Very, very good thing to uh, know about mm -hmm. for sure. Uh, something else that's really good that you touched on is like diabetes, you know, when diabetics are, you know, run around and, uh, you know, exert themselves, they're sweating, they're, you know, out out outside doing things, uh, they can, they can, uh, they can start having, you know, their low blood sugar. And the one thing I go along, uh, cause I got a brother who's actually diabetic and it's, and it sounds kind of funny until you realize how serious it is. They'll start acting stupid, literally, you know, they'll, they'll start saying things, um, where, you know, you just like, uh, you know, quit being stupid, but then you have to start realizing like, wait a minute, if they're going in, into diabetic shock, they're not thinking right. You know, when you mm -hmm. tell them to drink water and they decide to stand there and not drink water, that's not a logical thing for them to be doing. And at the same time, this is one of the things I always caution my instructor candidates for is if you see, if you've been around somebody all day long and all of a sudden you start uh, smelling what smells like a strong odor of alcohol on them, but you've also been going on, it's like, you know, we've been on the range for six hours. You know, there's no way they could have, you know, snuck off and, dr and drank a bunch of alcohol. Um, you know, if they have, it's a different, it's a whole different problem, but if they go along and start smelling it and they start acting, uh, acting silly, guess what? You might have somebody going to diabetic shock and you've got to be aware of that because there again, if they go too far into shock, that, that can have some serious implications to them. Yeah. Ketoacidosis. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and they might become com combative, you know, um, that's something that you have to be aware of too. They might try to fight you and <laughs> got a gun on them. That's not a good day. So, yep. you know, you need to be aware of that people. Um, I, I, I haven't heard it happen in a long time, but it's not unheard of that, uh, people with diabetes, um, get rolled up by the police for being drunk, public intoxication. They take them to the drunk tank. And then the next morning they find them and they're dead. 
and come to realize that they weren't drunk, you know, they were, they were diabetic and they yep. just needed serious help. Yep. And that, that's what, one of the questions I always ask my instructor candidates about, you know, what do you do about a student, you know, that, you know, partway through the afternoon, you start you know, smelling, you know, alcohol or what you think is alcohol on them. And it's like, well, they didn't have it when they came back from lunch and all of a sudden they start developing it. Well, guess what? Yeah. That's one of those signs that you've got to be aware of um, when you're running a range, when you're an instructor, you're going to be around people because you've got to know when to go along and say, hey, let's everybody take a break, get a drink of water, and I'm going to talk to this person and sit them down. And if you start seeing too many signs, it's like, yeah, we need to go along and get them some glucose, you know, very Absolutely. quickly. And that's one of those things that you should have in your first aid kit, you know, some glucose because yeah. you, you get into them, put, put underneath their tongue, and then poof, you know. Five minutes later, they're back to normal again, but they didn't realize their blood sugar was crashing off. My, yeah, my brother, uh, my brother had that happen several times, so I'm uh, unfortunately uh, very familiar with how that the, how that works. Yeah, yeah, I would uh, I would caution against uh, administering you know medication unless um, unless directed to do so. What I would probably recommend, um, you know. If it's a family member, you know, that's, that's different. You know, obviously you're going to, you're going to take care of your family member. Um, but if it's, you know, someone that, you know, is just a student that you're not, not aware of, I would recommend definitely getting on the phone if at all possible and calling medical control, tell them that this is what's going on. Um, we, we, he's diabetic and he's having this problem and then go based off of their, their recommendation. Um, you know, cause you know, just to double check to make sure that we're not administering glucose and you know, they don't need it. Um, and yep. that kind of stuff. So. You, you have a problem with having too much glucose and, and also, you know, too low glucose. So, you yeah. know, and that's where, you know, hopefully they're somewhat coherent and they know how to check their, their blood sugar. But at the same time, if you don't have any other, uh, you know, reference point, you know, calling, calling medical uh, support, that would be a very good suggestion. And there's nothing wrong with having a buddy system. You know, if you've, if you've got, you know, someone that you're a little bit concerned uh, with, you know, pair them up with somebody who is, you know, uh, maybe a friend or a relative or, you know, someone that can kind of, you know, be their battle buddy, you know, kind of keep an eye on them, you know, and, and try to, you know, make sure that everyone has a good day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A couple other things. One, one of your suggestions on Brian is when it comes to things like, heat stroke, heat exhaustion, you know, heart attacks and strokes. Um, you know, for the most part, you wouldn't see those in younger students, but there are definitely cases out there that, that they have, they get uh, afflicted by those uh, on there and we should be aware of it as well as, you know, older students who may, may come to you that may uh, uh, exhibit symptoms and, know, you know, how, how do you go along and handle those when you're on the range? Yeah, well, this affects, um, you know, the younger population too. I can't tell you how many people I've worked on with heat injuries, you know, heat stroke, heat exhaustion and all that kind of stuff. You know, you know, the military, you know, you do a lot of pretty arduous stuff and a lot of these guys like go out and drink the night before and then uh, go on a 20 mile ruck hike the next morning, you know, and that's a pretty standard way to live. And uh, so you, you can have it in any population. Um, you definitely want to uh, try to get your students to eat something uh, you if you're out there and you're sweating all day you're going to be losing a lot of electrolytes and that and someone that has lost too many electrolytes they might be guzzling water but if they haven't eaten anything all day then uh, every when they sweat they're just they're losing all of their electrolytes so making sure that people you know have a snack 
um, and they ate breakfast is always a pretty important thing, especially now we're getting into summer. That's going to be extra important. Um, I always love when I go to a range and they've got water bottles set up, you know, especially if it's water bottles that are in a, a cooler and they're all nice and iced down and ready for consumption. That's the best way to go about that. Uh, I always take water with me anyway, but it's always nice to know that there's more water available because you know students are going to show up and they're they're going to be missing stuff. They not not everybody does this on a regular basis, and not everybody's going to remember to bring water. So making sure that everyone's wat has water and that they have a snack to eat is usually a pretty good idea. Um, when it comes to heat exhaustion or heat stroke. You want to try to cool them down if possible. You want to move them to the shade um, and you want to start fanning them and making sure that you're trying to get them cool. If you've got some uh, some of those ice down water bottles, putting them in, um, in their armpits, down in their groin, around their neck so that it starts cooling that blood flow and starts reducing that core temperature. Um, and that's what we're trying to do. Um, when you have a heat injury, generally what happens is that it messes with your temperature control system. So your body isn't regulating its temperature quite as adequately. So we're going to try to help them to do that. So we're trying to cool them off as, as much as possible, transport them, notify the ambulance and get them to go see some help. Yeah. And one, one thing I, I would note when it comes to calling the ambulance, uh, some people might be reserve about going long and calling an ambulance because somebody had a bee sting or, you know, somebody passed out for a minute or something else like that. But I believe in almost every jurisdiction that I've ever talked to, like the paramedics and such, the only time the meter starts running for those, um, you know, whether their, their medical insurance gets billed or that person gets billed for is if they get transported. If somebody mm -hmm. comes to the range just to get checked out for their uh, blood glucose level or different things like that, you know, they mo most times, Nobody ever gets billed. You know, they go along, they're, they're able to move fine or they decide to, you know, go see their family physician. The ambulance goes away, but it's one of those things where when we're talking about how long it could take for an ambulance to get there, you don't want to go along and spend five minutes deciding and then find out they're 10 minutes away because right. all of a sudden, you know, instead of being, you know, 10 minutes from you from the start, you know, it's going to be 15 minutes. And if you've got a serious problem, you know, whether it's diabetic, whether it's, you know, bleeding or breathing problem, those types of things, um, you know, every, every minute matters. And we definitely want to, you know, get the help rolling as soon as possible. Now, that's a good point. Um, now, one of the things that I've, I'm asked quite a bit is, you know, when should you transport? And um, if you're worried at all, transport. Mm -hmm. um, it's better to be safe than sorry. I mean, yeah, it might be, it might, it might suck to have that person, you know, not really need the medical care and then get billed and all that kind of stuff. I get that, that that's, that's bad, but what's worse, you know, it's better to err on the si side of caution, even as a, as a medic, as an EMT, I've done this stuff for a long time. If I, had, if I think that it's worse than just a minor boo-boo and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of questioning whether or not they're going to be okay. It's time to, it's time to take them in. Yep. I'd rather a doctor say they're fine. You overreacted. than I, you know, risk losing a student on the range 
I think that's a better alternative. Right. As instructors, we're nowhere near as trained as you are. So, you know, hearing that you, you know, err on the side of caution there too, I think is a, a good thing for us instructors out there to think about that. If you have a problem on the range, um, you know, start the wheels turning. If, you know, if the best things happen and they pop back up and say, Hey, you know, sorry, you know, put everybody through a scare. It happens every once in a while to me. You can always tell the ambulance when they roll up to say, Hey, you know, the guy, you know, it has a known problem and he passes out, you know, every time he gets too excited, you know, something weird like that, but at least you've done what you could do and nobody's going to go along and say, Hey, you should have called them at the first sign of trouble. So that's yes. really great. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the mantra I, I try to live by is when in doubt, transport so yeah. immediately just transport it's better for everybody um, well, hey brian i really appreciate your uh, thoughts today uh on medical uh thoughts for the range but got in the, got a question for you and you i can honestly say i'm gonna be the first person to answer this question t- twice but what kind of books are you reading these days <laughs> all right well i've got the uh, special forces medic handbook so i've been doing a lot of uh, stuff for uh, youtube and that kind of stuff I, I like to keep brushing up on this stuff making sure i'm on top of it and the special forces medic handbook is a pretty cool book it's going to have a lot of stuff in there that most people aren't going to um to understand uh even me you know i've 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 been doing this for for quite a while. There's a lot of stuff in there that I would never even attempt to do. It's got stuff from appendectomies all the way down to uh, taking care of horses and and um, pregnancies and pediatrics. It's just got a wide variety of things, um, and that helps quite a bit to uh, to kind of get a good understanding of what's going on. And some of the stuff um, you, you might need to learn a little bit of medical terminology to really get the most out of it. But if you're interested in anything from like anaphylactic shock and bee stings, there's, there's a section in there that goes over that and describes what's going on and some of the medicines that are used. And you can definitely get in over your head with this book. There's a lot of pretty, you know, obviously you're probably not going to be doing an appendectomy on the range, but it's one of those things that I like to keep in my bookshelf and then just look at every once in a while when I've got a question about how something works it, it has such a wide variety of things and it all has to do with um, austere medicine and being in an austere environment like you might be on a range. Very, very cool. Very cool because uh, I'm not going to try to be a medical professional, you know, at your level, but at the same time, I always want to have know enough to, you know, make sure A, I don't do any harm and B, make sure that I make the best decisions on, on getting the, you know, the right help at the right time. Yeah. Something I like to say to a lot of people is that um, I've been doing this for a while and pretty much the only thing that I've got over you is experience. Um, I've I've done it a lot and I've seen a lot of stuff. So that helps me to make um, good and quick decisions. Um, But trauma medicine is incredibly simple. Um, You only need to know some basic things to, to do a lot of good for somebody. So, you know, learn those basics you know, know how to apply a tourniquet and chest seals and that kind of stuff. And, and, and you'll get there. It's, it's not a big deal. Good. Well, hey, working instructors, if they want to find out more about Brian McLaughlin and Mountain Man Medical, where they can find more information about, about you at. Absolutely. So the, you just head over to mountainmanmedical.com. Uh, we sell medical kits. So if you need one for yourself, your home, your car, or the range, feel free to check those out. Um, at some point we're going to come out with a, um, with a range medical kit 
And hopefully it's going to have a lot of those first aid items in it, like the burn gel and band-aids and, you know, some of the basic stuff that you need. And uh, at some point I would like to have like a little booklet or a pamphlet that kind of talks a little bit about, um, you know, some of the more common injuries like anaphylactic shock and how to set up a, um, how to do a, a safety briefing and things like that. Um, so eventually we, we want to try to have some of those products out there. And, and then we have uh, the YouTube channel. I just launched this last week. We're up to 700 subscribers. I'm pretty proud. Got that in just a week and it's going pretty good. I'm enjoying it. Uh, I'm way out of my element. I'm a bit of a knuckle dragger. So doing this whole uh, artsy kind of thing is um, new to me, but I'm enjoying the process. I'm learning a lot. If you have any uh, information, if you have any uh, ideas for videos, please drop those into the comments. I'm always looking for content stuff and uh, trying to provide as, as uh, mo the most information I can for, uh, for the people that are going to use it. Yeah. And those YouTube uh, videos he's got out there already are not super long, but they're very informative. And that's where, you know, I saw them pop up on my feed and it's like, this is exactly what we need to bring to instructors to start talking about, you know, bleeding and breathing and the, si the simple things of it, because you can get, so tied up in all the minutia where, you know, if you, if you forget those, uh, two, two important things, uh, you, you know, things go downhill very quickly, but if you follow them and, you know, and call for assistance as quickly as you can, most of the time it can happen. Things will resolve themselves in a very positive manner. So Absolutely. definitely appreciate your time tonight, Brian, and, uh, look, look forward to more videos and more, uh, impressive stuff coming out in Mount Men medical. Awesome. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate it. Well, that's a wrap for this episode, and we have a few requests for all those loyal uh, instructors that are out there. If you have any questions, ideas, for topics, or feedback, please email us at ftp at concealedcarry.com. Visit our sponsors, especially the Firearm Trainers Association at ftaprotect.com, and check out their instructor insurance. Being a responsible instructor means having insurance coverage. Remember to use promo code FTP10 for 10% off. Just remember, all the things that we were talking about, could potentially happen and have that instructor insurance will cover your butt as well as help your your students out if you have time rate our podcast and leave us a review on itunes or google play share this episode on facebook and encourage other instructors to listen and to subscribe if you don't pass it on to them they may not be aware of it and they won't be getting this great content remember we bring this podcast to support the industry the second amendment and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Plan ahead because accidents do happen. And stay safe, everyone. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.